Have you ever heard a strange noise in the middle of the night? Ever seen something you couldn't quite explain? Ever been visited by a loved one in a dream? Psychic mediums Katie Manning and Michelle Lyons Polito talk about it all. Welcome to the Psychic on the Scene podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another amazing episode of Psychic on the Scene. This is Katie, your favorite redheaded psychic. And as always, joining me is my wonderful friend and co-host Michelle Lyons Polito. Hi everyone. And my other lovely co-host, D. Scott. Hi, I'm not her friend. Did you notice that part? <laughs> I didn't mean that. <laughs> You're my friend. Because <laughs> you got to have friends. Um, and tonight we have a really special guest. He's actually returning um, guest for us, but we didn't even touch on his main body of work the last time he was with us right. we had him on strictly to talk about demons because he was one of the only demonologists i could find in the capital region <laughs> little did i know when i found him steve calls um that he would be um it's so well i guess well known as the squatch detective um yeah. so your background steve is in um, private investigating, and um, he is a cryptozoologist, a paranormal investigator, speaker, author, radio show uh, host, and he's been featured not only in the local news and in the papers, but he's also been on the History Channel, National Geographic, and Destination America. Is that it? Yeah, well, yes. all of those travel channel. I think I popped in on Discovery once. So you never know. Where <laughs> That's pretty awesome. You never that know where they're pretty... going to syndicate you. <laughs> right, exactly. But so you are our Bigfoot aficionado and you've been doing this. It said 18 years experience. No, now it's uh, that's. No, it's been over 20 now. Wow. All right. Well, then you got to update that shit that I read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I where you read it. <laughs> yeah, I went through because I wanted to make sure because after like we got you on for demonology, I kept saying to Michelle, like, wow, he's got like really got an extensive background in this area. But before we we dive in with Steve about Sasquatch, Bigfoot and all of that, um, I just wanted to take a moment to kind of gab with Michelle mm -hmm. a little bit about the upcoming Super Blood Moon on May 26. Oh, I can't so, wait it's over. <laughs> I can't wait for it. To, it started last week, started feeling everybody's energy and kind of going a little bit wacky. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I got to say, it's one of the ones that, boy, you talk about holding your breath until this one like yeah. finally releases. The crazy is on full on crazy this past week. The wheels are coming off. <laughs> yes. the wheel. But, you know, it's supposed to be about, um, especially because it has a lunar eclipse connected to it. It's supposed yeah. to be about highlighting things that maybe had been hidden um, mm -hmm. or the, the kind of like uh, reactivating yourself. Yeah. So there's a lot of good that can happen with it. But I think people not even knowing that there's something that's happening in the cosmos just start to go crazy and they don't do any kind of um, self-evaluation or inner okay. research to figure that out. So it's so all the things that they should be adjusting or shedding um, just get amplified. Right. And the response is just uh, completely just unsettling, I guess is the best term. And I think everyone's feeling it. 
Oh, definitely. Um, along with it, people are getting a lot of communication signs, mm -hmm. visits from family and spirit, as mm -hmm. well as um, like animal signs. So I've, I'm hearing a lot of reports of it and, and receiving a lot of reports of what do I think of this? And it's, mm -hmm. it's your family or they're dreaming of them. So be mindful of all of that, but take good care of yourself while this is all happening. Take mm -hmm. an Epsom salt bath and do some meditation or just get out in nature and unplug a little mm -hmm. bit. I say it all the time, but especially during um, these kind of phases, these changes. Yeah, and think about where you are, do a little review. About, all right you know, that's a good one too what's going on in your life um because when you try to charge through this energy it, it, it can be very disruptive i always tell people go sit by a body of water oh. and just clear your mind and it's just go out and hug a tree or get chased around the yard by a bee whatever it takes to get outside it right helps. it really spot helps. on all right so now turning back to the present um bigfoot aficionado. So Steve, on your site, it said that you follow five tenants. Ah, can yes. You, can you please tell our listeners what the five tenants are? The five tenets of big, my Bigfoot research is number one is to keep an open mind. Mm -hmm. You know, by keeping an open mind, we see things that others may not see. Mm -hmm. uh, that we have to expect the unexpected you know, don't take everything at face value. Um, tenant number two is remain objective. Keeping an open mind doesn't mean throwing away the science book. Mm. Um, you know, there's no reason why, you know, Bigfoot should sprout wings and fly away or, or have mm -hmm. a, a super cloaking device or anything crazy like that. Right. Uh, number three is always tell the truth. If something turns up, I do everything by it because of my investigative nature. I do everything case by case. So just because a particular incident turns out to be either, you know, a known animal, a misidentification or even a hoax. Uh, when you close the book on that, that's a good thing. OK, we can right. put that one to rest, move on. It doesn't mean that it's negative against your mission, you know, of trying mm -hmm. to obtain evidence. It just means that this particular incident is done. Mm -hmm. and, and that's always a positive and it builds your credibility. I mean, let's face it. Uh, you Absolutely. Know, th there yes. are so many people out there, you know, trying to claim, you know, everything is a Bigfoot <laughs> in the paranormal. Mm -hmm. There's people that try to claim everything is a demon. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Right. Everything, everything's sure. a demon. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's very important that, that, you know, you maintain, you, you know, um, you try to uh, stay away from confirmation bias, you know, right. I mean, yeah. You, know, you talked first... a lot about that before right. too, when yep. we, you, when you were on. And I think that that's a, a great approach for people, especially getting started to stick, not so much like doing it, like everything is scary and everything is, uh, you know, um, yeah. got a, a, a monster it. behind it, that there's things that can actually be explained. Yes. Exactly. We go about that very often. Like Katie, when we've done some of our minor ghost yeah. investigations, I, you and I, we always always assume that there's a, a logical non-paranormal reason for that bump in the night. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And, and the other thing too, and, and we'll get into it later, there's a lot of people that report alleged paranormal experiences with a Bigfoot, but they can all be explained by science. Oh, I can't and, wait to hear this. And, and, Me too. 
it's kind of multi-level because people have, you know, and I'm sure you've heard the story about the, the Bigfoot disappearing or turning into an orb or somebody yeah. heard mind speak to a Bigfoot. Well, there's actually a scientific explanation for all of that. We want to hear that. So tenant number four is responsibility to educate. There is so much misinformation out there that, you know, if you're, if you're doing the, the investigation in the science the correct way, you know, you have a responsibility educating the public. To me, it's, you know, somebody will say, oh, did you see him yet? Well, what do you mean him? You know, <laughs> yeah, good point. There's one Bigfoot. And it's a guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, he gets around a lot, man. He, he's just say, had a lot he's of been around for, Right. He's been around for over 100 years <laughs> and he's from place to place. Yeah, well, he's got a lot of frequent flyer miles. He cashes them in all the time, you know. <laughs> Nobody's seen him lately because of COVID. He can't fly. But, uh, but uh, that's funny. Um, and then, of course, number five, is, the fifth, uh, the fifth tenant is exposed to charlatans. In, in the Bigfoot community, there is a lot of people, not a lot of people. There are uh, a different sections. Um, mm. Some promote junk science. And completely mm. for their own, uh, their own motives. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, others promote uh, fakery to promote, you know, promote themselves again. Yeah. So, and then you have the people that um, have what we call Bigfoot on the brain. Well, there's another explanation, scientific explanation, why they do that, but they may have a psychological reason for saying, "Hey, every time I go out in my backyard, I see Bigfoot." And there's a several reasons for that, or the people that that will, will, uh, oh, you know, there's a couple in particular I know that they're, oh yeah, we're going out there doing our Sasquatch research today, and there was seven or eight squatches out there, and you know, and he's trying to teach people how to interact with the Sasquatches, and how they speak, they speak Iroquois or Cherokee or whatever he he's espousing, but yet they never provide a shred of evidence. Yeah. You know, oh, look at these tree breaks. That's not Bigfoot evidence. Sorry. But there's reasons for why they do that. So those are my five tenants I work with. And it's kind of my, it, it's to keep me grounded. It's to keep my. Perfect people. way to put it. Yes. I love you know, that. It's, it's an automatic grounding. I also have developed, you know, processes um, that go along with that because I, I have an investigation background. So I've developed for my own good. And I, I put that out there for other researchers, my own investigation matrix, you know, and there's, there's several steps to the investigation matrix. You know, if I'm Which out is. there, tell us that. Well, it's a whole process for getting a report, uh, you know, you know, acknowledging it, doing your background check on it. Okay. What you got a report. I always have, uh, you know, when I ask people to do a report on my site, I have an IP tracker. So if somebody's saying, Oh yeah, I saw a Bigfoot, you know, in the Adirondack State Park and their IP address is pinging, you know, in, you know, Laughlin, Nevada, for example, <laughs> there's an issue, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and then there's a process of requesting a phone interview, getting to record that, ask them to write a more detailed account, then a face-to-face meeting um, and, and record that. And then each time you're looking for that consistency. There's also a number of questions I ask. Um, you know, it's like a five page different question mm. ranging and a lot of it, like the paranormal side has right. to do with, with background. You know, one of the biggest yep. questions I ask, oh, did you believe in Bigfoot before this happened? Mm, really oh yeah. Point. I've always heard stories and I watch finding Bigfoot all the time. And, and now you're, you're getting this, 
okay, you saw something in the woods, it went by fast. It could have been something else. You may have a confirmation bias to say, mm -hmm. hey, that's a Bigfoot. Your brain is now telling you, hey, that's a Bigfoot. So you have without to it, excuse me, without it being a HIPAA violation, I can remember working with one investigative team that actually asked questions that kind of um, bordered on um, mm -hmm. questions about mental health and medications. Absolutely. You have to ask that. And right, because we were going to their homes. Yeah. And um, many times, even when we get there, you'd see a counterful of um, <laughs> prescriptions and you'd kind of be like, mm, I think I know what their ghost is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you see the box and run. Uh, exactly. Right. Oh, gotta go. Um, <laughs> oh, look at the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of people worry about, you know, HIPAA violation. Well, you know, if I ask those questions, is that a HIPAA violation? Right. No, it's not. Because if you ask, it's a voluntary thing, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. Yep. So, right. you know, that, that, that's, that, so, you know, and then part of that is there's a lot more to it, you know? Uh, so what, what's happened in your life in the last six months to a year, mm. you know, have you had a death in the family very close to you? Have you had, a divorce have you had you know what is your current situation there was a a case that went on uh, a, a radio station um from this this rather uh, he's no longer broadcasting he was rather ex exploitive of this guy mm. um, but he was an old older guy in his 70s who was caring for his 86 year old sister and he lived by himself and she was an invalid and the only time he would leave the house is if somebody would come and watch his sister so he can go to the store and get supplies and get food and medication and come back. So of course this guy was seeing Bigfoot everywhere. And we listened to his story. A bunch of us listened to his story as this was unfolding. And he was talking about the, the mother Sasquatch and the child. And, you know, um, uh, you know, he talked about the, the, the young Sasquatch cr climbing a telephone pole, but the mother got mad because she felt the branches wouldn't hold them. And we're like, hmm. oh, telephone poles have, don't have branches. branches. Eventually what happened was somebody went out there, uh, a couple of researchers went out there and they reported back and said, we're sorry, he's seeing these Sasquatches and we're not seeing them. And the fact that he lives in the middle of the town oh. is really, so again, that's like I said, one of the cases earlier, it's a psychological need. He's lonely. He, it, right. he wants to feel. Oh yes, he wants to we've feel had exciting. That. He has no excitement. <clears throat> and some of these exact yeah. reasonings can parallel different phenomena as well. It can cross over in the paranormal, cross over in ufology, <clears throat> it can cross over into, you know, other cryptids like Loch Ness, Champ, the whole thing. Every time somebody comes forward with a story, you have to be cognizant of these types of things. I think that makes the best investigators. It does. Because you go in far more objective and science-based. And if you start to say, oh, everything is a ghost. Oh, everything. Or everything is a demon, as you were saying, or yep. where everything is Bigfoot. It, it winds up losing its like true essence of mm. uniqueness and, and legitimacy. So I appreciate that, that process that you have, Steve. So you get through the questionnaire mm -hmm. and you, you guys determine, yes, we're going to go take a look. 
So what are some of the favorite things that you like to hear that you immediately get excited? Like, we got to go check this out. Yeah, um, like an indicator. For, for ourselves. Yeah, a real indicator that it's, it's, uh, could, could be. be a- well, the yeah. most the most exciting I get is when somebody uh, is when you hear usually you'll hear I'm going to report. Yeah, I, I had a sighting at my house. When you hear about the sightings at their own residence, that makes it really exciting. People hiking in woods, uh, driving down the road, seeing one, you know, zip across the road. Those are going to be hit or miss, right. you know, depending on the behavior. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I also developed a, a whole a behavioral scale of the importance of the sighting based on primate behavior and how primates live as a group. Because mm-hmm. Sasquatch is a primate because by definition, it has a large brain, forward facing eyes, articulate hands and feet, large brain, small snout. That's the definition of a primate. All primates, uh, when you look at the broad spectrum picture, they live similarly. Mm-hmm. They react similarly. So based upon that, you can determine number one, what type of living area did you respond to them in? Is it their territory, which you would expect a little bit of aggression? That's where you may get the escorts, the right. the mm-hmm. the intimidating vocals. And by escorts, what I mean is people are decide, okay, we need to get out of here, and something is paralleling them or Just following them, and they can catch it out of their corner of their eye, and but it maintains its distance, but it's screaming, it may be aggressively rock throwing. Those are very territorial things. And think about that as a human being. If somebody walked into your house or onto your property, you would react very similarly. You'd throw stuff out. Right. Okay? Yeah, that's true. Now we have the, the most frequent is the home ranging type of activity. That's where somebody's driving along, see one across the road, or they may be hiking up a trail and all of a sudden, one pops up, looks at them, and walks away. And that's the behavior. They turn around, they walk away. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't expect a lot of recidivism in those types of sightings. So if you think about it as humans, you're walking down the street. And, and what a home range basically is, is the area we go to on a, on, a, on a pretty regular basis. We go to work. We go to the store. We go out to the movies. We go to the malls. Well, you know, in that, you can sit there and build a circle around where your traveling area is basically. And that's what we consider a home range. Hmm. We do it. Primate, all primates do it. Uh, you <laughs> know, chimpanzees decide they, they literally range over a couple of days. They range about 20, 24 miles. Wow. You know, when, when they get bored, they'll, and they'll, off they go. <laughs> um, so that type of behavior, think, and think of it as walking down the street, in your neighborhood and you see somebody walking, you know, walking, right. You may say hi, but a lot of times if it's a stranger, you won't say nothing and you'll just walk by each other or you'll go the other way. Or let's even say you see a strange dog and you want to avoid that dog. So you just walk away, uh-huh. you know, and that, that's kind of a, a similar thing because they're two different species. Mm-hmm. You know, the same thing. If you see a bat in the house, you know, getting uh-huh. back to the other side, right. Our first in, in, inclination isn't to kill it. It's to get it out. Right. Right. And, and it's the same oh, with the Sasquatch there. It's not, it doesn't want to kill it. It just wants to get it out different species. Ah, right? okay. However, uh, and here's the caveat to that. There are cultural differences. We do know of, you know, people or different tribes that like to eat monkeys. We do know oh. chimpanzees like to uh, similar, some troops of chimpanzees like to eat monkeys. 
I think it's disgusting. If you ever watch a, a poached gorilla on TV, you get that heartfelt, oh man, that mm -hmm. sucks. You get that type of feeling. That's instinct. That, that's, that's our programming. Late. Right. That's our primate right. programming. Right. So, so in the final area is, is the, the foci activity areas and they can vary. Okay. Um, uh, and, and so the, the behavior can vary depending on what the behavior is. Now let's put this in human terms. We have lots of foci areas. We have malls, shopping centers, schools, oh, yeah. um, places of employment. Now think about this. You go to a mall, what kind of behavior do you have? The same as the home range. Mm. But a stranger walks into a school where they do not belong. Now you have a territorial behavior to that. Mm. So That's sometimes you, when you get that foci activity area, you kind of have to really listen to the, the details because the devil's in the details of what made this sighting occur and what made the, its behavior occur. So that's why it's very important to understand primate behavior and the reactions and how we live, because that tells the whole story. Because you think about it, where are you going to get the most activity? In the territory. Mm, so you right. listen for those aggressive types of sightings. And then from there, you build out, well, what other histor sightings historically have happened around there and what kind of behaviors. And all of a sudden, you're noticing that this area seems to have a concentration of aggressive reports guess what that may be that may be an area where they're living right. so, is where you exactly. go investigations right. hmm? is that an area that you would head to for your investigation well not directly in ground zero of that because i believe they're they like to avoid so if you start invading their territory they're just going to move on to another territory where they're not being disturbed the whole idea is to get close <laughs> to that area one thing primates are, are naturally curious <laughs> If something goes boom out the window behind you, what's the first thing you do? You look. You look. So right. all the other little animals go, they scamper. <laughs> so it's really important that we use a little subterfuge and do things to get their curiosity up. Because as a primate, we have large brains, so we need mental stimulation right. constantly. I mean, can you just sit there and go like this? Right. I, so then, right? You can't. You're kind of saying it, but without um, you, you're definitely into cryptozoology. So I'm going to assume that you feel that Sasquatch is um, part of that, correct? Like a lost or an evolved well uh, primate. Any, any cryptid is a undiscovered species. So it could be, you know, like the Loch Ness Monster. It could be a Chupacabra. It could be Bigfoot. Uh, it could Loch be the Mothman. These are all cryptids, what we call cryptids. Mm -hmm. They're creatures yet to be discovered. Now, do I believe there's validity in, in all of them? No. I think the Chupacabra is kind of um, uh, more of a hysteria thing that if you mm. look at the Chupacabra from where it, it was created in Puerto Rico with a goat sucker. It was bipedal. It looked very, very alien in appearance. Then all of a sudden, in the uh, late 90s, you started having sightings of what they considered a chupacabra, but it was on four legs and looked very canid or canine, yeah. mm -hmm. right? And what right. it turns out to be in some cases is a coyote with mm -hmm. a severe right. form of mange or a wolf with a severe form of mange. Looks nothing right. like the original. Right. So it kind of puts a big question mark on that. 
the Loch Ness Monster. I've been to the Loch. I, I, I was at my own Nat Geo special on there. Mm. And I could mm, see cool. on the Loch, uh, you know, and it was a beautiful experience. They put me out there for nine days. Mm. Uh, I was on a boat for four of those nine days. Uh, interviewed countless people. But when I'm on that lock, I saw a lot of things that could be confused for something that was swimming there. And then there was a, they presented this guy who supposedly had a photo. Uh, I did some, some little investigating because the the guy was the groundskeeper at the place we were staying at. (laughs) So I started talking to different people at the resort and they said, and, and, and the one chef's like, no, it's a reflection. Just wait, just come down here in the morning and hang out. And of course I was off one day out of my nine days. I, the crew was out doing it and I was, you know, bopping around. I was hanging out with the chef because he made wonderful food. <laughs> and this was in a castle, by the way, because they put us up oh, in a castle, yeah. Aldori castle where Queen Victoria had her diamond Jubilee as queen. Oh, um, so <laughs> the director said, Oh boy, we got a good gig. He was right. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, of course, there came a certain time where the light, the sunlight was hitting uh, the lock at a certain degree. But the house, one of the houses across the lock had copper flashing on the roof. Oh, boy. and what it did was it was reflecting oh. off the copper house into the lock, creating this oh, wavy yeah. type of it had three co- sections of copper flashing and it had three wavy type of reflections in the water oh, wow so i was able to very clearly discern that this was a reflection could never be um recognized could never be confused with a creature swimming because it was static it just stayed there and right. when he, it was he took three pictures of it and oh i'm selling this and that's what he did uh, so and the funny thing is is they never aired my debunking of this including yeah. showing my own pictures I took and copying the guy's photos, very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, they never used it. They had some, some scientist who, and I laugh because I'm going, boy, this guy's a dope for a scientist. He's a bad investigator because the scientist said, well, I don't see any houses in the picture of copper of anything that would cause that reflection because it's a, it's a narrow shot. You idiot. You're not looking at the entire the entire thing and he said yeah but that's one of those things in my mind i mean i i can't speak for you because you're obviously in that field more but i think to myself there's so much of that the water that's so deep in areas that you think to yourself they what a better place to have a hidden creature that you still can't you know find here's the kicker of that though and and this is the one disturbing thing about it to me is the lock was created by a glacier. Right. It was landlocked up until the mid 1700s when the English decided to keep the Scots busy and built the Caledonian Canal, which only created a very shallow, you know, 100 feet, 100 feet deep canal between the lock and the North Sea. So, mm, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's not like something from the sea got trapped in there when, you know, like like when the Great Lakes were formed, you know, right. it's not like something trapped it in there. It was never part of the Atlantic Ocean. So to me, that that spells a little bit of problem for it. Um, but getting back to the, the Sasquatch thing, um, the, the very drastically different 
different phenomenon going on here. There's been tracks, there's been hair, and, and there has been hair that has been classified as primate discovered and discovered in the forest of Pennsylvania and the forest of Oregon uh, right. and, and, and several other places. And they lack the medulla, which is the uh, middle section of it enough to kind of do any kind of intricate testing on oh, such as God. DNA. Frustrating. Yes, very, very frustrating. But now we have something very new, rather recent called eDNA, which oh. is marvelous because now we can go to an area and it's very expensive right now. So that's why it's not being done on a large scale. But I would say probably in about 10 years, it's going to be much more uh, economical to do this. But like we have researchers going to Bigfoot areas, actually taking water samples and eDNA testing those water samples to see if there is a primate DNA that has yet to be discovered in there. That, that like records all the different species. Right. Species yeah. You just test it all. It's like, <laughs> I love that's that. That's freaking cool. Now here's another cool thing about eDNA that I am really excited about. And people haven't thought about this yet. When I go out in the field, I now carry a full forensics kit to collect DNA. Oh yeah. Do it the proper way, uh, including chain of evidence. Um, but if there is a footprint uh, especially if there's more than one or two. If there's just one that's really clear, I look around and see if there's an impression of another one. Mm-hmm. Or oh, okay. May not, be, may not be so castable, but what you do is you take your buckle swabs and you start rubbing those buckle swabs in those footprints. Because, wait a minute, wait a minute, slow down. So yeah. what's a, that sounds filthy. What's a buckle swab? Buckle, <laughs> a buckle swab is, the, is a, a sterile, um, Swab, basically. Like a giant cube. It's like half. Oh, a, okay, okay. It's like half a cotton swab, hmm. um, except for it's on a longer stick and it's got a little spongy type device in, which is used for capturing microscopic material. So what you want to do is take that, you know, glove up, obviously mask up. You want to keep the area away from other people, and you go in there and you very carefully buckle swab that footprint, because what happens is, or if there's a handprint. What happens is, is and this is a real dangerous thing for criminals now, is if I'm sitting there and think about this, it's the same with the feet. We have oils and we have skin cells Mm -hmm. that detach every time we make contact with the surface. Right. And what this eDNA can do is decipher that. Mm. There's no so I love it. Find, That's so cool. So I'm really excited about this. There's people talking still about FLIR. Oh, we can get this high. I'm sorry. You know, a picture, a video, uh, an audio is not going to prove this thing exists to science. They will say, even if, you know, the worst thing in the world I can do is get a video of a Sasquatch because I'd be sitting there going, what do I do with this? Because half the world's going to believe me. The other half is going to call me a liar and a faker. Yeah. Regardless. That's just the way the world is. Right. So what I try to do, as with any investigation, we were talking about that investigation matrix. And this all comes full circle now. Is that when you do your field investigation, then after the field investigation, the evidence you get, then you have to process it. And that doesn't take a couple of days or a couple of weeks. It takes a few months. I've gotten pieces of evidence, such as the Vermont trail cam photo, 
and what we call the Pridgen video, or AKA the New York baby video, that oh. took months to decipher and work. The baby video, I took frame by frame and analyzed every single frame, spent hundreds of hours on that before it went to the public. The Vermont trail cam photo went to an optic scientist to determine whether this was something in front of the camera or on the ground. This is the type of research that needs to be done. The problem is, is you go to YouTube and, mm -hmm. hey, look at this video we caught yesterday and here we are. No, you know, everybody's in a rush and it's for clicks and for, yep. for ad revenue and for all this other stuff. Oh, we got to get this on YouTube real fast. Why? What is the rush? Yeah, because they just want that hit. And well, they want the hit and they're not yeah. competent in what they do, unfortunately. And it makes you, you put such hard work into it. All the legitimate investigators it just it makes it that much harder for you yep now what is um, i have to ask what is the new york baby video oh um very interesting video um i i can uh and it was kind of funny how this story went uh i i was at the time and i, I left for a little while but i'm i'm kind of a, a very quiet uh investigator for the bigfoot field researchers organization um but when i was there the first round uh in 2000 i want to say 2000 Towards the end of 2002, mm -hmm. I, I, I come across a report that had been reported to the BFRO in Modena, New York, which is right across the river from Platakill, which is like an apple haven for New York. It's a lot of apple orchards there and a lot of apple product goes there. But Modena is surrounded by, uh, on one side to the north, you have the Catskill Mountains. To the southern side, you have the Appalachian Trail beginning. Uh. So you have a very, uh, in, and then you have Orange County to the south, which has its own rich sighting history. So what what happened was this guy said, hey, you know what? Um, in 1990, and this is 2002, mind you, in 1997, I was taking a, I was taking a video of me and a bunch of friends jabberwalking, having a few drinks, crocked off our butts, you know, in front of this fire, talking about burning cans. <laughs> so me and my fiance were watching burning we're cans. Wa burning cans we're watching this video and my fiance elbows me what's that swinging in the tree in the background and he goes there's something there i can't explain it. it's like a monkey or something but it doesn't seem to have a tail wow. I, I i don't know so okay on the preface you go all right here we go <laughs> all right <laughs> but what I understand is, is another BFRO investigator who was closer to New York City because the guy lived in New Jersey, was just traveling up to Modena for a music festival, had taken this case. So I called him up and he says, yeah, I talked to the guy. He sounded kind of flaky. I, well, number one, he's from New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was born there, so I understand the language. I'm, I'm, I'm good. So I said, did you ever look at the video? He goes, no, I never got to that point. Oh, come on. That's wow. the basics. <laughs> so I said, well, you mind if I take over? And I didn't yell at him. Do you mind if I take over the case? Yeah, go right ahead. Boom. Hey, Doug, do me a favor. Can you send me a copy of the video? So he transfers from his little VHSC tape to a video cassette. This is, like I said, 2000. Now it's 2003. <laughs> um, because it was right at the end of 2002, this all started. Um, so I get the video cassette. I have a giant screen TV. I put it in the VCR because that was the days we had VCRs. <laughs> and I watch this. <laughs> you know, so so there was something there. But but I have a process that that as an investigator, and, and mind you, uh, you know, I'm a private investigator, and I've also worked a lot of video hours 
Uh, I, I've spent a lot of time in loss prevention uh, for companies. Um, that is actually my professional field of expertise is in that. And I'm really good at analyzing video. So what you do is you take it at that break point. And this is what people forget to do a lot of times is they look at a video and they try to run it forward. Oh, right? yes. Okay, stop. What I do is I go to the focal point right there. Boom. We know what happens. We know the focal point. We know the ending. But let's look. Let's go back. We need to see the very beginning. And if you take that focal point and work your way backwards, then you see every last detail from the start because now you have something to start to watch, but you're going backwards. Because a lot of times you'll put a film on and you don't see nothing until the big main event's going on. Right. So that's why it's, a, it's actually a reverse engineering of an event of a film. And in that, not only do you see something rather large emerging from a tree, but whatever that is, is climbing, jumps off its back, <gasps> climbs over a little bit. The camera goes out of whack, comes back. And then you see, next thing you know, you see this hand over hand going into the tree, swinging oh. between two trees and then dropping down. Oh. Now, it's very hard to see in the video unless you're actually walk through it frame by frame by frame. My goodness. But that's the detail I got by analyzing all 900 and some odd frames of that film. So they were being watched by a big No, no, they weren't, they weren't being watched at all. I, I finally, the problem was, is that by that time, five years, six years had passed for that area. It no longer was a campground slash event which they were where they were camped on was opposite the side of where the music festival was going on so it's very safe there was some tenters up there but they had all gone into the festival behind them was an apple orchard ah, and and strawberries and wild i mean i went there finally in uh, when finding bigfoot they asked me to help kind of lo scout location one of the events i went out there to help their producers and i was like i'm, I'm yeah i'm there <laughs> but at the time, it was an ATV park. So whatever was there, I couldn't tell and it would have been uh -huh. a mess. But that had ceased after a couple of years. So here I am now some 15 years after that event. And everywhere there was was wild growing apple trees, wild growing strawberries, That's wild growing raspberries, wild all this fruit. I could sit there and collect a whole fruit basket right there. Wow. And nobody's tending to this now. It's just there. Um, so yeah, that, that gives an excellent idea of why it was there. It's like, hey, it's the chow line for crying out loud and very rich. And they stopped to look at these idiots burning cans. <laughs> well, the little one did because the funny thing is, is the big one after it jumped off, walked a little bit and then did an about face and walked back and then back into the tree it was at. And that's where that's we lose awesome. the big one. So mm -hmm. it was almost like unexpected. And, so cool. you know, so now here's the other interesting thing about that. And this is all part of that research. Number one, there were no lab escapes. So it's not like somebody's, you know, lab monkey went out. Still doesn't explain oh, what the okay. big one is. Yep. Number two, it's illegal to own a primate in New York. Mm -hmm. it, it's verboten unless you have a zookeeper's license. Number three, they did not allow any animals on that property, including parrots, because they did not have the insurance rating if a animal would bite somebody and that was confirmed with the property owner. Yes, I spoke with him. So you have all these things and the only commonsensical thing, other than it may be some sort of cryptid, like a Bigfoot, 
is that somebody broke state law, snuck a, snuck a full-grown uh, you know, monkey or chimpanzee into the camp without the owners knowing or any of the workers there knowing or anybody else knowing on the property and then just letting it go up in a tree on its own at dusk, which is completely <laughs> ridiculous. Nobody right. would do that in their right mind. <laughs> so... You know, the, the most logic, the, the most earthbound explanation makes no sense. So what does that leave? <laughs> um, I'll let you be the judge. Right. So that, that's the New York baby video in a nutshell. Um, so it was, it was really uh, it was really a cool thing, but it took months. I mean, I didn't it, it took a good four or five months to get all the data I could and feel confident. And that includes, and the other thing too I do as well is some of that minutia of the early stages, checking IP addresses, checking email addresses, checking names and see what they've been saying online. You got to do a social, nowadays you have to do a social media check. What have they been saying in the last six months? All of a sudden they have a Bigfoot sighting. Um, well, at that time, one of the big things I do is check the weather data. Mm. You said it happened on this day and it was on, you know how many times I well, it was a really bright moon night. That's why I could see it so well. And you find out there was a new moon. Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. Right. <laughs> okay, right. So. Uh, how, how much do you uh, enjoy interviewing people who have had a sighting or believe they've had a sighting and they were non-believers beforehand? I, um, it's not so much enjoying it, it's how I would weight it. Okay. Um, you have to understand a person who has, doesn't believe in it. Oh, I thought it was all a bunch of baloney. You know, I made fun of people. And then they have this sighting. It's the same with, it's the same with spirits and same yeah. with ghosts, right, Michelle? Yes. I love that. <laughs> I know. That's my but, favorite but, ones. But, but here's the thing. Here's, here's the big difference between ghosts and, and a Bigfoot. Everybody's heard a ghost story. Right. Right. That is true. Right. Yeah. You're right. Not everybody's heard a Bigfoot story or even knows where to begin, what a Bigfoot does, or what it looks like, or how it acts. Mm, good point. So that's a very good point. When we have somebody that says, you know, uh, you know, I'm a hunter and I never even thought of these things. And I raise my gun up, I hear it, I think it's a bear coming. I raise my gun up and look in the sight, and it's a face looking back at me. Wow. Mm, wow. I've heard that story many times. That gives me chills. Me too. And, I got and, goosebumps. And I, and I can't, I could have dropped it, but I just couldn't pull the trigger. It looked too human. No, sir. That's not the reason why. That's not the reason why you didn't shoot it. We go back to primate behavior again, because uh -huh. it's not common for one species of primate to attack and primate species of another. Not normal. Programmed into us. Right. It's programmed into us. Um. <clears throat> But uh, the caveat is that, you know, it, we are horrible uh, as primates. We are horrible to our own species. Yes, that's for sure. Gorillas will fight gorillas. Chimpanzees will fight chimpanzees. Humans, we know, will fight humans. Mm -hmm. right? We're good at that. We have more compassion for uh, critters that are of lower intelligence than us. That's the truth. Yeah. That is true. That is and, true. And and deservingly so, I believe. <laughs> because if you think about it, you know, uh, man can have guilt. Man acts with intent mm -hmm. and with, sometimes with malfeasance. 
whereas animals just act a lot of times on instinct. Although the funny thing is chimpanzees will act sometimes on malfeasance. They are tricksters and they will intentionally do things to stir the pot. Well, I've heard that on some of the shows, too, that they do that, that they kind of like to toy with them or try and group people like herd humans. Yeah. And now here's the um, here's the interesting thing you may or may not know that a chimpanzee has ninety four point six percent of our DNA. They only they're only difference by different by us by slightly over five percent. Now, imagine and look how different they look structurally. Mm -hmm. They're smaller than us, but they're stronger than us because their muscle density. They have the strength of six people. Right, right. Now, imagine that muscle density in something that is eight foot tall or seven foot tall. Wow. And maybe its muscle density isn't as great as a chimpanzee. This, of course, is all hypothetical. Mm -hmm. But I would think that it's going to fall somewhere between... Uh, it's going to be greater than 90, you know, 94.6%. It's yeah. probably the closest thing to us DNA wise. Steve, but, I have a question. Yep. I actually have two questions for you. Sure. Um, when you're out in the woods, um, you know, like with Michelle and I, when we're working with um, demons or working with um, spirits, we start to get in certain ones, like you get a sense of knowing. From the mm-hmm. second you get out of the car, sometimes yeah. even when the person makes the phone call. Oh, yeah. Um, do you ever get a sense of knowing like this, like that something else is around almost intuitively um, that something's oh, near you? Only in the areas that I've worked before. I have a, an area up in the Anaerobic Psychology Research Area 1. Mm-hmm. Okay. I generally, it's what I call the cadence. I know the cadence of the woods during the day. I know the cadence of the forest at night. Good point. And when I get out of the car, sometimes when I'm going, just ain't. It's not right. Something is off. And it may be in the, in, in the animal sounds or the lack thereof. Mm. Um, but nothing, nothing psychically. It, it's more of a, a, a sensory real. thing. Well, it kind yeah. of is a sense, right. It's the same thing, but it's like a, you're using your other senses to right. kind of. But I'm using um, I'm using maybe my hearing and interpretation of what's going on around me, and, and believe it or not, your most intuitive feeling in the woods is your hearing. Um, because think about it, you know, we we don't have a tapetum uh, lucidum, which is the reflective thing in, in the eyes of uh, potentially a Sasquatch, because there's a lot of eye shine, eye shine that people yeah. report seeing. So we, I believe they're nocturnal because they probably have this tapetum oh, lucidum. Right, right, right. Like cats and dogs. And but, the- but you think about cats and dogs and deer and raccoons and all the, the night critters that, that roam the woods, they can see right. very well in the dark. Whereas we are not as adapted. Um, no. We see a bright light, we go blind because there's a chemical in our eye called rhodopsin mm-hmm. that depletes when we see white light. And uh, red light, and that's why a lot of times you'll see people using red light because red light does not eat the rhodopsin as much as white light does or other mm-hmm. colors of light, whatever. So that's why we use red light a lot of times because it doesn't kill our night vision. Um, but even so, you think about it, our hearing in, in the forest, because now you have wooded areas that are covered with leaves. So you really don't have a long, in most places when you're in the forest, you don't have a long distance to look. You have to rely on your hearing. Sometimes you even rely on your smell, your sense of smell. Um, 
Yeah, I've heard that like when a Sasquatch is present, um, there could be a strong smell and that could be and right. I'll give you quiet. another I'll give you another great one. In 2006, uh, research area one, uh, one of the first experiences I've ever had out there after being there for six years. And mm. the reason why I went there, just so you know, was there was a very there had been several territorial type behaviors exhibited by mm. people having sightings in that area. Okay. So that's what drew me to that area. I knew that they were fair. They weren't going to be on the trailways, but they were fairly close within a mile or so of where, mm-hmm. where they were, because a person who had gone off the trail, actually a married couple went off the trail had had a very aggressive encounter. And that's what kept me going there. Oh. Now, one night I'm sitting there and uh, all of a sudden, you know, we're doing our, our typical, making some calls, trying to build that curiosity and all of a sudden, we start hearing footsteps. And then somebody heard maybe a, like a, a moan. And then it hit us like this. A smell? A smell. Smelled like death, skunk, wet dog, musk, all rolled into one. Wow. Bang. What the? And it was almost automatic. Like, now I was a paramedic for for eight years i've been to bodies i've you know that have been in houses for a couple of weeks yeah um i've been to murder scenes i've been to suicide scenes i know the smell of death forget that smell no yep and it wasn't it was different it was almost like that's gotta be a sasquatch that boom i'm hearing these noises and bang this smell just came out of nowhere and just as it just like it came like that it disappeared do you Gone. think it's like a like a chase response? Like they don't just walk around smelling like that? Like, yeah, because gorillas have apocrine glands under their arms, and when they get stressed, they release that and it releases a musky type of stink. Oh, okay. Right? So that's possible. But we decide to check the trails, you know, as we're leaving in the direction, and about 35 feet from where I stood as day, there was a fresh track in the ground of course it's nighttime now we're you got dusky it was at dusk when we by the time we started getting this response and now Mm -hmm. you know it became night and then we heard it move and now we got to get out and i want to get the night equipment out and as we're leaving here's this 14 and a half inch track by four and a half five inches wide wow the next day we go back we find the trackway coming up the hill oh my goodness and it took three steps it took six and a half feet three steps Going wow. uphill at about a 25 degree grade. Mm. Pretty impressive. That's really cool. Do you find there's certain seasons, Steve? Like, is it, um, or do you get more accounts of this? Like, well, say in the summer, spring, or fall? Because we're in the Northeast. It's, it's tough to yeah. tell. It's really Mar- migrate. That's a good question, too. Yeah. It's tough to tell. Well, as we look at, go back to primate behavior, do primates migrate? Not normally, but they do. If there's a change of season that may mess with habitation or may mess with the food source, Mm. guess what we have in the great Northeast winter. (laughs) So what we found is a confluence. And and this is funny. Did you guys know that Whitehall, New York is like the Bigfoot capital of New York? I I think because of you, you said it. And then I think another guest that we had on a good friend, he said something similar. And I never had heard that before. It's not any place I'd ever think. Oh, yeah. (laughs) If you go back to 70s, there was a whole flap where law enforcement had actually seen it. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, there was yeah. newspaper articles that, that, you know, <laughs> one article really got me laughing because it says, you know, um, the New York State Police, the Washington County Sheriff's Department, and the Whitehall Police all searched the area, but can only could only see the creature from a distance. Wow. <laughs> that wasn't actually in the newspaper. Could only see the creatures from a distance. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> but you ask about migration. Well, the Aboriginal people of North America, aka the Native Americans, they migrate. Yeah. Didn't they have their summer and winter homes? Yep. Yeah. They followed the buffalo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Food. Um, they went to a place where the climate not necessarily was milder, but there was more cover. Now, here's an interesting thing. You have the eastern Adirondack Mountains mm -hmm. over here. And you have the Green Mountains over here. Mm -hmm. The Adirondack Mountains, what do they primarily consist of? Birch, maple, oak. And what happens every winter? They shed their leaves. They shed their leaves. What do you have in the Green Mountains? They uh, Deciduous they pine. Ah. They don't shed anything. And pine bark and pine sap and pine needles are also a source of food. Mm. They have a caloric value and a nutritional value. And it also provides cover. So, yeah, we have a lot of sightings that occur in New York from about midsummer till about mid-December. And they drop off. And they're out of there. Then you have <laughs> sightings. You have sightings over here in Vermont that occur from the winter through the spring, the beginning, the middle of spring. Uh -huh. Guess what's in between those two places? Whitehall, New York. No way. Oh, really? My head's Whitehall, New York. Oh, oh that's so funny. <laughs> right? Oh, my goodness. And, and, See, my and, head is Whitehall, New York. And my, my mentor, Bill Brand, who's been doing this for 40 years, have been tracking this. And uh, Paul Bartholomew, a good friend of mine, we all see this pattern every year. We know why it happens. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, is that um, in 1976, 19, well, between 1973 and 1976, what it culminated what they call the incident at Bear Road, where uh, an off-duty uh, police officer, uh, Brian Goslin, was was kind of staking out a field down on Bear Road because there had been a rash of sightings, people seeing him in garbage cans. Uh, unlike a, uh, you know, uh, Gould Road, uh, you know, was seen rummaging through garbage cans. They looked and it turned and looked at him and walked away bipedally. Carver's Falls, where a farmer actually saw one in his his pasture and took a shot at him. Mm. And the police were called. And the police actually found the shells. Oh, you know, so he wasn't lying. Um, so Brian and his his own brother, who was a sergeant with the police department, had found tracks with another gentleman by the name of Martin Paddock in Carver's Falls, found a trackway. So they all knew something was going on. So Brian was off that night, decided to stake it out, had a service revolver on his belt, had his flashlight, and he was standing there just watching. And all of a sudden he hears something. It walks by, he sees the light break in his car. He gets out, shines his flashlight up, points his gun to, to see what's out there. And there it is standing there about 30 feet from him, kind of mm -hmm. just looks at him real briefly, puts his hand up, to to cover its eyes a little bit because the bright light shining on it kind of let out a groan and just kept on walking. Jeez. And I remember interviewing Brian and Brian says, people, you know, always ask me, why didn't you shoot it then? That would have ended this mystery. He goes, well, he goes, I'm a police officer. It didn't take any action against me. Oh. I just can't uh, shoot something. I'm a police right, officer. Right, right. Exactly. If it came towards me, I could have shot it, but it didn't. It just kind of walked on away. Kind of. 
and again the home ranging type of activity right it's like we wake a kid up in the morning by turning on the lights (laughs) right so um so you have all this confluence going on there but you have this this activity all this activity going on north of route four in 1976 well what existed just north of route four in 1976 there was a huge apple orchard oh yes that's right but that apple orchard's not there anymore it died out. They they stopped doing it, and all, most of the trees have been cut down and dead. And they refarmed it. Some other people have refarmed it. Not there anymore. So what happens in between two thousand four and two thousand six? All of a sudden, there's this rash of sightings on the south side of Route Four. What's on the south side of Route Four? Another apple orchard. Oh my goodness! Right? That's so cool. What was behind the New York Baby video? Apple orchard. Apple, apple orchard. orchard. Berries. Yeah. That right? is fascinating. The Vermont Trail I've never heard that before. The Vermont Trail Cam photo. No, was, apple. If you've ever seen the picture, if you've ever seen the picture, it it's allegedly could be a Sasquatch leaning down grabbing an apple. Oh, that's can we see because these- the guy had an apple tree. Oh my god. Steve, if you can put up some of the links for that um or send them to Dennis, that would be amazing for our listeners yeah, to, to take a look I, at. I would we would wonderful. really love that. Last question I, for yeah, you. Yeah, I have a couple of YouTube videos I have that I can send you. Oh, to that would those. be great. Yeah. Please, please send them to the Dennis so we can put them up there and link them. Um last question I have for you is during COVID, mm-hmm. did you guys get more reports because people were home and they were noticing more things or you got less because people just weren't out. We got less. People okay. were out in the woods in magnificent numbers. I remember may have been about a year ago, a little bit more than a year, maybe the beginning of May. I'd gotten laid off in uh, on March 17th with my first day off a layoff. Oh. I didn't go back to work till five months later. Six mm-hmm. months later, six months, almost six months to the day I went back to work. So I had a nice six month staycation. But in May, I was like, you know, God, I've been in this house six weeks. Let's go take a drive up, you know, the, the DAX and see what's going on. I'll go through the DAX. We'll go up to research one. And when I get up there, there's cars everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. And yeah. for the first, for the second time in 21 years, I see a ranger there. Wow. The only other time I've ever seen a ranger there was when they knew Nat Geo was going to be up there to shoot a special. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> right? So here, here, not one ranger, but two. And they're there to control traffic and make sure people are behaving themselves. Yeah. Because there was hundreds of people there. All like, the outdoor There's no sense are... in going and doing this. They're, they, they hear this commotion. They're, they're skedaddling. They're going to stay. That's right. They would have left. And there was a lot of people out in the woods. Well, I was not, one of them. They're not going to roam. You know? Yeah, so right. Exactly. That, that area. It'll so be yeah, interesting was... to see if in the next year you start to get a resurgence of uh, claims. I mean, there's been a trickle. There's been a trickle. Um, you know, the bottom line is, is I have uh, four research areas. One that was very hot for a number of years, kind of slowed down, and, and that's the other thing too. Research one has slowed down a little bit since 2014. Mm. So I'm, um, you know, kind of hoping that mm, it'll pick up again. But then I have another area that that's uh, in 2013, we actually believe we fleared one on the uh, uh, on the uh, tributary between the Pulteney River and um, North uh, East Bay or I'm sorry, North Bay. Um, Hmm. There's a little there's a tributary there that they have boats that go from the Pulteney from Whitehall Harbor 
and they travel down the Pulteney a little bit, catch into this little canal, and it takes them up to um, North Bay. And we have we actually thermed one walking, we believe, along the bay and then going into the woods. Whatever it was, was upright, moving without much sound. Uh, we were too far probably to hear sound anyway if it was making it. But whatever it was, it was upright and walking without lights. If you took the flare away, you couldn't see nothing, no flashlight, no nothing. And that would be suicide. It's pitch black out there. Right. And it's a very wow. rocky area and has a very high concentration of rattlesnakes. So oh, there's no right. reason why anybody would be down there. There was no vehicles behind us. We immediately after it disappeared, we went up the road to where the vicinity of where it would have come up. And we staked that area out for a good few hours and nothing happened. Mm -hmm. So definitely. And we even called down there. Hey, is anybody down there? No answer. No answer. And there was I have one more question then. Sure. Um, is there any, <clears throat> like, are there any reports of Bigfoot uh, being able to swim? I have heard of that. Um, you know, there is uh, some reports on the island. There's an island on Lake George. Yeah. That had this uh, allegedly quote unquote monkey sightings. I camped on that island. <laughs> yes. Oh, really? Yeah. And did you, you have anything like that, Michelle? No, I did not experience uh, any Bigfoot there. I did. Um, but you want to hear the funny, no, the funny thing is? Yeah, yeah. If you just go to the east of that island, to the land on the other side Rainbow. of Lake George, <laughs> you're going into research area one. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, it's related. It's all related. My goodness. It's uh, very interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, I had an experience. Well, you know, I've told you guys this before, uh, Katie and Dennis, that I, through most a good 10 years of my childhood, I had uh, recurrent dreams about Bigfoot uh, at least three, four times a week. Um, and then the whole in search of thing. But I, my one experience, um, and there was a smell involved, was uh, I used to sleep, we used to go camping up in the Adirondacks, I think we're at Lake Luzerne, Fourth Lake. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I was sleeping up in the upper bunk at this point. So I'm going to say that's about seven feet up. And there's this little window. And something woke me up in the middle of the night. I remember a smell. I kind of blame my, my brother, but it wasn't. <laughs> um, I, I saw some. some never, never trust your sense to smell on burrito night. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, there were eyes looking in at me at that level. But then I just, wow. being a kid, threw the blankets over my head and just went went back to sleep so that was my only experience and i know it wasn't a dream so. very interesting because uh only uh, within the last year we've had a couple of sightings to come out of the luzerne area really yeah that's well, yeah. in the 70s it's kind of very interesting that's that's what i call the western sasquatches they're over there <laughs> I've been dealing with the Eastern ones. Now I got to go over there and deal with the Western ones. <laughs> right. Don't mess with them. Oh my goodness. Well, guys, thank you again, Steve. This is amazing. And please send us the, um, the, the, the videos and the links. Um, and how can our listeners uh, follow you and, and uh, see what you're up and about doing? Well, I, I'm all over social media. The easiest way to get to every point is just go to squatchdetective.com. And okay. you can, you can, uh, you know, at the, at the bottom, towards the bottom, I have my feeds for my Twitter and my Facebook fan page. Uh, every Sunday night, we do a, a live broadcast podcast, Squatch DTV, uh, youtube.com forward slash Steve Coles. And, uh, you know, we, we also have a channel there where we upload videos to periodically oh, wow. and have a lot of fun with it. Wonderful. But, but we take the BS out of BF. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. Great. Thank you so much, Steve, Anytime, for, for guys. joining us. I, I love when you come on. Great no, information. Always fun with you guys. Thank uh, you. Okay. Appreciate it. Yeah, right. Michelle, as always, thank you. D. Scott, as always, mm-hmm. thank you. <laughs> and thank you to all our listeners. Please keep um, sending in comments and requests. Please keep liking us and sharing us. And, um, and and let us know what you think of, especially this with the Bigfoots, if you're following this. So thank you all so much. Late in the night, I was on my way home.